You are going to love this episode. So today we are speaking with Brendan of Master Talks and we're talking about communication. And there are some things that he shares that you have probably never heard before. So the art of communication, public speaking, online presentations and how to be more confident when you are communicating with other people. There's a lot of good quality gold stuff in this episode. So make sure that you do listen, download it, save it for later. And because I know that there are going to be some exercises that you're going to want to do from this. Um, And even I have learned stuff and I'm going to be implementing straight away. So plug in, get listening and enjoy. Welcome back to the Confidence Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bailey. Today, we are going to have an amazing conversation about communication, public speaking, and having the confidence to do so. Today, we have the incredible Brendan from Master Talks joining us. Welcome, Brendan. Natalie, the pleasure is absolutely mine. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, could you give the listeners an introduction to yourself, who you are, what you do, and what Master Talks is? Yeah, for sure, Natalie. So the origin story was when I was in college, I went to business school and I studied in accounting, funny enough. That's what I thought I was going to do with my life. And in my journey, I started competing in case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. While the guys my age were playing like rugby or cricket or basketball or baseball, I was one of those guys. I did presentations competitively. That's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, Natalie, I started coaching all the other students on how to communicate ideas effectively, mostly for free. Like I didn't even know it was a profession. And then I accidentally got good at speaking and coaching other people. So I started making YouTube videos on communication to give the information to the world for free. And it just turned into something I never imagined. Amazing. So you must love it. Oh yeah. It's so awesome. Brilliant. So what's, what's the foundations of master talks? What are the key things that you, you help people with when it comes to presentations and public speaking? Yeah, for sure. I, I think what I brought to the industry, Natalie, was really simplicity and practicality. You know, the, the challenge with communication, public speaking, getting better, being a more confident speaker is it's really vague. A lot of the advice you hear, it's like, oh, like, be yourself, uh, be fake it till you make it, uh, picture everyone in their underwear. And you're just like, what in the world is going on here? Whereas for me, it's more about saying communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. So one of those balls is body language. One of those balls is storytelling. One of those balls is facial expressions. But for me, the question is rather, what are the easiest balls to juggle? Because if you can juggle those, like the random word exercise that we'll talk about today, like the question drill, like sending video messages, it's an easy, tangible way to actually see progress in the skill. Like when you work out or when you do fitness, it's just easier to see progress in one specific thing. That's a really great link. We talk about health, wealth and happiness and having confidence to do that and having specific things where you can see progress. Because without that, without having like targets, tangible stuff, how how are you supposed to know how you're getting better? Especially with communication. So what you said is exactly spot on. And that's especially true with comms. Because let's say, here's the analogy I use. Let's say me and you are running a marathon together. But I'm lazy. I don't want to get up in the morning. But you're knocking on my door at five and saying, Brent, we're going for, we're going to practice this marathon. I'm like, okay, Natalie, we're going to practice. And then we run the marathon. You get like first place and I'm probably like in the back, but I finish it. 
But the reason that's motivating to your point is because the goal is tangible. You mm-hmm. see yourself, you visualize yourself finishing the race, but that same visualization is a lot harder to do in communication because what does being a great speaker even mean? And a lot of us don't know the answer to that question. What does being a great speaker mean to you? Fantastic. So for me, what it means is it's very analytical. So going back to those 18 balls, the way that I describe a great speaker is how many of those 18 balls can you juggle in the air all at once? So the first one, to keep things simple, is the random word exercise. Pick a word like phone, like camera, like home, and create random presentations out of thin air. And this serves two purposes, Natalie. The first one is it helps you deal with uncertainty. Life is filled with it. When you go to an event, you go to a pub, you go to a networking event, you don't go there with a list of questions and go, this is what we're going to talk about today. And you just go, so what's up? And you kind of just make it up. And the second piece is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. And that's the magic of doing this. So the way that I measure progress is how many times have you done the random word exercise? And then you go to the next ball and the next ball. And that's how I measure progress. That's amazing. Like, can you imagine, guy, like turning up to a date or something and you've just got a list of questions and they just ask you. <laughs> Feels more like an interview. Well, like, dates really are kind of like interviews, aren't they? But imagine it being that, oh, gosh, no, like, no. <laughs> What's your favorite way to present? My favorite way to present? Hmm. I personally like in person a lot when it's yeah. like intimate workshop, 15, 20 people. That's usually my sweet spot because I can interact with people and I can remember everyone's name. And I can call them out by name. So whenever I'm doing like a three-hour type of event, which is usually what I do when it's in person, it's usually – it's not like I get people to raise their hand because I know everyone's name at this one. So I go, Bruce, what do you think? What do you think about this? So everyone's always on their toes mm-hmm. and it's a lot more engaging. So that's, that's probably my, my favorite type of presentation, yeah. I, I love that. Remembering people's names is so important. It makes a person feel special. Do you have any tips for helping to remember people's names? <sighs> Do you have any tips how people remember their names? Here's what I would say. Like, it's not about – like a lot of people think that it's, oh, my memory's just bad. No, 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 no. You just don't care enough to remember the person's name. That's the truth. Because if you met like a really attractive woman or a really attractive man, depending on what you're attracted to, you won't forget their name. Mm-hmm. They tell you what their name is, right? So, so it's about creating that incentive. So for me, the best way to do this – is to focus on the names you actually want to remember. That's one piece. And the other piece is to repeat it a lot. So you'll notice I actually do that a lot in my interviews where I say Natalie a lot, Natalie. And then in my head, I was like, should I call her Natalie? I was like, oh, I just matter. I should probably just keep calling her Natalie. But, the but right notice name. how – there you go. <laughs> right? So, so notice how when I keep calling you that – obviously, Zoom is easier because I can see your name on the bottom left. But, but uh, because I keep repeating myself, I remember the name. So that's really the key. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things. So I wanted to, to go through that a bit because that links quite nicely to when it comes to building your, your presentation. Because so many people, they say to me, Natalie, I think I'm going to, like, what if I forget? How am I going to remember all of this? So would you recommend a similar thing in like repeating what you like practicing your presentation, practicing your talks? For sure, for sure, Natalie. So definitely practice is important. The other layer I'll add on top for presentations is an exercise I teach called the puzzle. 
So communication is like a jigsaw puzzle, Natalie. You know those little pieces we used to do as kids, kind of yep. put those little pieces the together. Okay, awesome. So, so you might know the answer to this question then, which is when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first and why? The and the answer is, uh, you know, okay, awesome. So tell us why. Tell us why it's the corners. It's the it's the edges of the it's well it's literally the edges of the puzzle and then when you know what what the pieces are there you can look for the how to fill it in. Absolutely correct, like literally the perfect answer. But why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because in presentations, unfortunately, Natalie, we don't do that. We start with the middle first. We shove a bunch of content in our presentations. We get to the presentation. We ramble throughout the whole thing. And the last slide sounds like, uh, yeah, so thanks. Not the right approach. So instead, what you want to do is practice your presentations like a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first, meaning do the introduction 15, 20 times until it's perfect, which actually doesn't take that long to do because your intro is like, 30, 40 minutes. It will take you 30, 40 minutes rather to practice it 20 times. Same thing for the conclusion. Do the conclusion 15, 20 times until it's perfect and then tackle the middle. Because what's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie, right? Mm -hmm. So do the same thing for the close, then tackle the middle. That is a, I've not heard that of doing it that way before. So that's, that's brand new. That's awesome. Thank you. And I'm going, to, I'm going to take that on board and go, go away from this and, and do my next speech, speech like that and let you know how it goes. Please, please do. At least, at least your beginning, your ending will be really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to say my middle is normally very good as well. <laughs> of course, of course. So a lot of people, they want to do public speaking. They want to be better communicators. What do you think is the thing that mostly holds people back from improving in this skill and actually like getting started? For me, I think it's consistency and structure. A lot of people usually answer fear. The reason I don't is because there's so many things in our life that we're fearful of that we do anyways. Starting this podcast, starting my YouTube channel, asking somebody on a date, going on the date, going to college, applying for college, getting married, starting a business, starting a side hustle, all these things that we're proud of in our life, mm -hmm. all are attached to fear. We don't do any of these things with 0% fear, yet we bring that expectation into communication mastery. Oh, I could only practice communication if I have 0% fear. Well, how does that make sense given everything we've already accomplished in our life? Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? I think for me, the big piece is just consistency, which is like we respect the person who goes to the gym 300 days out of the year, not the person who buys the gym membership. So for those of you listening to this, the number one takeaway, the most important one so far is, are we doing a hundred random word exercises? Okay. I got to pick a random word like cup or spoon or jaguar. If I do five of these a day and I don't worry about how good it is, you don't get points for doing it well. You get points for doing it a lot, but in three weeks, you'll have gotten to a hundred times and you'll be way better at it. So we pick a random word and make it and just converse around it. Am I correct? You got, got it. Right. You got it. And I'm happy to demonstrate if you want. Go for it. Of course. Give me any word. Um, hairband. Hairband? You got it. Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, Natalie, I would always walk around the house. And sometimes I would leave the house because I was super energetic. And my mom was always annoyed by me because she would always lose me. 
especially as a two to three year old kid. Like, where is this kid? He's like uh, at his neighbor's house. He's at his friend's house. He's running back and forth. And as I'm running in my house, I always used to notice, especially as I got older, and I could see the top of a shelf, a bunch of hair bands and ribbons and ties that were my parents. And what I loved about hair bands is they're such a simple way to, yes, utility-wise, probably bun our hair and create that utility, not for a guy like me who has short hair, but it's also fun because you can use it like an elastic and throw it around the place. And the reason I tell you that story is because we can find joy in the simplest of things. We don't need a Ferrari. We don't need a big house. We don't need a big watch. We got a couple of hair bands lying around. Just maybe we can find a little bit of joy in that too. So find those little moments in your life. That's the random word exercise. Amazing. <laughs> I love that. And I actually lost um, a hairband at my last mastermind. I was playing with it. <laughs> and it just went ping and it just disappeared. <laughs> Into another dimension. It literally is dis- it disappeared. Like we could not find it. It did go into another dimension. You're right. So somebody's enjoying and having some joy with our hairband <laughs> out there. So for everyone listening to this who goes to Natalie's mastermind, you know what to give her as a gift. Go give her a hairband. She'll be really happy. New hairband. <laughs> See, it's this it's the simple conversation, like the art of communication. Like for you, what do you look for in people that come on board with you to to coach? Yeah, you know, for me, the biggest thing, Natalie, is commitment. So so for me, I've I've worked with people of so many different titles, so many backgrounds, because communication is really a mixed bag. Versus like being a, a business coach, let's say, you're usually pretty good at, let's say, like brick and mortar, or you're really good at tech, or you're really good at a specific niche. Whereas in communication, it's the same principles, but different types of people. So I've worked with CEOs of painting companies. I've worked with coaches. I've worked with entrepreneurs and, and and corporate executives. But I would say the biggest one that they all share in common is they really want the result. So let's say the difference between, let's say, the random word exercise and, let's say, a program is when you hear, let's say, the random word exercise on a podcast, you go, yeah, I'll do this once or twice a day. It'll be cool. Or maybe I'll do it three times. When you're in a program, let's say, like a coaching thing with me, I'm like a personal trend. Like I force you to do it a hundred times in two weeks. That's, that's the big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, it's having that extra accountability, isn't it? Like I just, I was having a chat with somebody yesterday around this and the people that, that pay for things and then don't take advantage. I just can't wrap my head around why invest in something and then not use it. Just take every opportunity you can to ask questions and, ask for feedback and get get that feedback so you can improve how do you give your clients feedback yeah so so the way that's a great question by the way natalie so for me the way that i approach it is a three-part framework write rank deliver write rank deliver so let's go through this framework so the first piece is write. what does that mean it doesn't matter who you're speaking to. It could be a five-year-old girl. It could be a really successful executive. My philosophy is always learn to write really harsh feedback. Doesn't mean we deliver that, right? So that goes into deliver later. But you need to get into the habit of writing harsh feedback and unfiltered feedback. And the reason is because when someone is really successful, it could be a top two executive in your company. It could be your best client. 
if you can't give them feedback anymore because they implemented everything, they won't respect you anymore as their leader. So they'll still respect you, but they won't want to work with you anymore. So you need to keep writing harsh feedback. That's right. Rank is, is a special way of how to deliver feedback that I created, which is take all the feedback points you have and rank them in order of difficulty of implementation, meaning start with the easiest ones first. So you have, let's say, 10 points you have for a client. I'll only mention the first three, which are the easiest ones. So I'll say something like smile. So if you're not smiling more, I'm not going to go into your content. That's the first thing we need to get rid of. And then the third piece is to deliver. So I've always believed feedback is like a thermometer. You know, those little thermometers that tell us what temperature it is. So the key here is hard feedback is never given. It is only earned. So let's say I take this 10 feedback point example, and I have two clients. Client A is really, really busy and has like 30 minutes to commit to this, but they're still getting results. They're happy. And client B is like a maniac. They want to be a pro speaker. They want to go all the way. So the first client, they'll, I'll tell them the first three points, but they'll implement one of them. So I'll go. So if they ask me for more feedback, I go, hey, why don't you do the other two things? But then the client B is going to do all three points in like a day. They're like, I'm done. Like I did, I did 100 random word exercises in a day. So for that person, I increase the difficulty level. And I go, okay, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. And I change my tone with them, but they love it. So I'm mm-hmm. changing my energy based on who I'm speaking to. That's so vital, isn't it? To know that about your, well, your, your audience. And that is effectively what communicating is. Uh, knowing who you're speaking to and how to deliver the right kind of feedback, the right kind of like words that they're going to take on board and understand. Because if you tell somebody that's brand new the harshest of things and the hardest of things, then they're going to probably run away and be scared and not want to come back. Exactly. Yeah. How, how do you recommend people prepare for their first talk? Their first talk? First talk. So let me start with this. I think it starts with more of the vision, which is my, bis- my most important advice is to try and find the repeatable presentation in your career and in your life. So if you're an entrepreneur, easy, right? Your origin story, that if you're a coach, super easy. It's like your 30-minute talk on communication, on confidence building, on health. And what's nice about that presentation is you can do it over and over and over and over again. Like me, when I'm on a podcast, nobody's asked me questions I, I'm not prepared for. No one's going to say, like, what's your favorite color? They always ask me what, what I'm here for, you know, communication. So I'm answering the same question 300 times, which is the point, by the way, because then the quality of that goes up. And there's a lot of people who still haven't heard the answer to the same question I've already answered. Mm-hmm. So that's one piece. And then the other piece is then practicing that talk in a way that drives results really fast. So the key here is... You write the talk, you deliver it, and then you iterate the talk. So going back to the framework, let's start with puzzle. Let's say you got a 30-minute presentation. You could write it out at once if you want. But the most important thing to do is to write out the first two minutes and the last two minutes and really practice that until you're building that momentum to go, wow, this intro is so good. The key is energy management. And then after that, when we tackle the middle, it's two things to keep things really simple today. One part, Natalie, is the key idea. There's only one thing that people take away from this presentation. What do you want that thing to be? I'll give you an example for this conversation. I only have one intention, which is to inspire people to believe that communication is easier to master than the original you thought. 
So now when they're listening, they think, oh, the random word exercise isn't so bad. I could do this alone in my basement with nobody watching me. So I'm not doing anything grandiose. I'm not saying like you need to go speak on a stage tomorrow. So I'm clear with the intention because that will change the, the feedback and the way that I answer questions. And then the last piece, Natalie, is three to defend. So three to defend just means what are three ideas, stories, analogies, statistics, personal stories that you can share that you feel helps you develop your message the best? And the only key here, think of it like a buffet. You won't know which one's best or the, what's the best dish until you've tried everything. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing there. I love that. I love that analogy. The buffets are the worst in the world. <laughs> Guess it depends which one you go to, but yeah, absolutely. Well, no, because you do. You want to try everything, and then you find one thing that you really like, and then you have too much of that and can't eat the rest. Oh, that's fair. Yes, that definitely <laughs> happens to me all the time. <laughs> do you think there's much difference in how you would prepare for an online presentation compared to an in-person? Yeah. So, so the ideas are still the same. Talk, first two minutes, last two minutes, three to defend key ideas. So all that structure is the same. I would say there's only three main differences I would add to that. But there's a couple of other layers, but I'll give you kind of the big three. One is eye contact. So when you're in person, you tend to move your body around. You shift yourself so you can look at the different people in the room. So that's one piece. The second piece, oh, sorry, let's stay on the first one. Whereas with online, whether you're speaking to one or 10,000 people, you want to keep your eyes on the lens, the camera lens, uh, not the camera, the laptop lens, the camera that you're using so that you have the illusion of looking at everyone directly. That's one. Number two is energy. Let's face it, Natalie, it's a lot easier to show up with energy when you're in person versus online because you can hug people, give them high fives. You actually are not allowed to wear sweatpants anymore. You have to take a shower. You have to show up in the morning when you have to do all that stuff, right? There's accountability that just cannot be matched. Yeah. So what does that mean? That means you got to show up better in person, improve your energy in person, and transfer as much of that as possible back online. That's number two. And finally, number three is the video message. Make a list. No, video message. What am I saying? That's another tip for another day. The third piece is accessibility. <laughs> I'm losing my mind today. So accessibility just means... That when you're in person, there's no friction if you want feedback. So let's say you're in front of me and I'm giving a presentation on, say, London or in Spain. And I say, hey, Natalie, love your feedback. You're right in front of me. So you just get lunch. Like it's there. But when you're online, you're giving a workshop to 30 people. There's a lot of friction because the Zoom call just ends. So Mm. you need to go out of your way to meet people and get on calls with them to get feedback. That's a good point. They can just, they just shut down, don't they? And that's it. You're like, where have all these people gone? So, yeah. (laughs) Put a call to action in the chat box and make sure that you're connecting with the people so then it's easier. That's that's what I would do. So what is your favorite color? (laughs) My favorite color is navy blue. (laughs) Why navy blue? I just, I like it. Because my suit's navy blue and it looks really good on me. So I just like that color. <laughs> Amazing. So why is, um, why, why is it called Master Talks? What's, what's the origin story? The origin story behind the name? I wish it was something really exciting. And this is the advice that I share with every, everybody who's having trouble finding a name. This is the secret. Because I found Mastruck in one day. Like the name for it. So all it took 
I've got my five buddies, like friends of mine. These are not like uh, marketing gurus in the online world, just buddies that I bought pizza for. Actually, I don't even think I bought them pizza. They did it for free, even better. So we, we took an Excel spreadsheet and everybody just wrote 100 names or like 50 names. So one guy wrote 50, I wrote 100, somebody else wrote 70, somebody else wrote 30. And we put all of them on a spreadsheet and we just went through all of them. And then one of my friends, Richard, came up with Master Talk, and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. What does everyone else think? I was like, that's a cool name. So then I went on the US trademarks office, I typed the word, wasn't trademarked. I was like, done, that's it. That's amazing. I love that. I really love that. What um what do you think are the the key skills that people need to increase their confidence for communicating? Yeah, you know, for me, the easy way to answer this question, Natalie, is to see for yourself the progress that you're making. Let's go back to the random word exercise as an example, but I'm happy to talk about ball two and three as well so people can have other things to practice. Everyone almost exclusively, Natalie, believes that when they hear, especially when they hear me do the exercise, they go, oh, yeah, there's no way I could do that. That makes no sense. Like, how's Brendan just taking a word and create a presentation? But the point here, is when I force somebody to do it five to 10 times, and they always reply with, well, it's not as good as yours, because I've done it 3,000 times. It's not a fair comparison. So then I go up to them and I just go, no, 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 that's not the question. The question is, do you feel more confident than the first time you did? And they go, yeah, a little bit. And I go, great, do it 20 more times. And then they do it 20 more times. Then I say, get to 100. There is not one person I've coached in my career who has gotten to 100 and says, I still suck at this. Nobody. There's nobody. Or at the very minimum, they'll go, I feel like you get better, but I'm definitely a lot better than when I started. So what this does is it creates confidence. And the reason it creates confidence is because we're proving externally and internally that we can become great communicators. Because now it's factual. Now it's obvious. They can't even refute it with themselves. Mm. And then that creates confidence to go, okay, I think I'm ready for ball number two which is the question drill. You write down a question every single day that you think somebody's going to ask you about your life, your expertise, your business. And the first time you do this, you go like, ah, I don't know the answer to that question. Like for me, a few years ago, I got, how, where does the fear of communication come from? I was like, I don't know, Los Angeles? <laughs> so it's a journey. Uh, yeah, that is, that is, how, how is anybody supposed to know where? It originates from a different place for everyone. Did you ever have a fear of? Uh, did you ever have a fear of communication, public speaking? Yeah. Oh yeah, massive. I mean, I'll, I'll give you three three bullet points on that. So the first one is I grew up in Montreal in Canada, and for those who don't know, that's a city where you need to know how to speak French, which is a language I did not know. So my whole life, not only did I struggle with communication, I had to present in a language I didn't even know. Mm. Like so when I look at the crowd, I'd say "Ah, uh, bonjour." And that was my life growing up as a kid. The second piece that you might not know about me is I have a physical disability on my left arm. So my left arm is crooked. So because of that, when, when people watch me present, even today, like I have a corporate gig on Monday, they're all going to look at my arm. They're not going to look at my face. They're like, why is this kid's arm crooked? Right? So that's the second piece to that is I had a lot of anxiety around that, especially when I was younger. And the third piece is you would think that a communication expert studied in communication. He has like extensive knowledge on comms and he's a PhD in the subject. Yeah, I have a bachelor's degree in accounting, which is literally the opposite of what I do today. So there you go. <laughs> that is a fair point. Accountants tend to be quite quiet in the corner and you're not that. 
no, so no, no. what helps you to overcome those those anxieties yeah so for me the answer is a little bit different than the general public because for the general public the answer is more for those of you listening to this podcast it's take it one ball at a time right so it's random word exercise then question drill then it's video messages right make a list of three people you love the most in your life a brother a friend a nephew a client and send them a 20 second video message just say hey i'm thinking about you thanks for the impact you're making in my life and i hope you're having a wonderful day that's it just do that a few times a day for a year it could be to the same people different people you could impact hundreds of people's lives and it won't cost you a dime and that's really the key is how you build confidence the way i did it though is, is more the exception rather than the norm which is i'm just ultra competitive so when i got to university and i started doing these case competitions i wanted to win because i wanted those jobs so I would push myself to a level. Like when I say like do one question, I probably did like 50 of them in a day. Like I really wanted to win. So mm -hmm. it was that will that made me really strong at communication really early in life. Where does that drive for competition come from? Well, there, there's a couple of areas we can, we can dive into. I mean, one is, is definitely more personal, which is, you know, proving my father wrong. I grew up in a really dysfunctional family. And for me, winning was about proving him that I could I could be better than him and then I had to heal that trauma as I got older. That's that's one piece. And I think the other piece is I just love competition. Like even today, like even now that you know I, I do things more for impact and service and helping people and it's and it's a gift. You know, I'm grateful every day I get to do the work that I do. It's like I still love to win. Like it's so much fun. Just going out there in competition in fair play and winning against somebody, losing against somebody. And, and just shaking hands like like professionals at the end. I just love that that nature of competition. Yeah. So no participation awards on your wall. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. Especially not for the people who work with me either. I, I spit on those. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't emphasize that too much when I'm on a more of a podcast. Right. I think I think for me. But honestly, though, even if I'm I'm personally not a fan of participation awards. I think I think everyone would deserve one if you just start speaking because most people don't do the random word exercise. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm also so I'm a believer in that camp too, which is like, hey, if you just do the random word exercise, don't worry about being like crazy Brendan. You don't need to be a professional speaker. I think it's more about saying communication makes your life better, right? It just helps your family, your relationship, and just makes you a better human being. It does. What are the 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 biggest benefits that you see for people improving in this area right so what i would say there's a there's a long answer to this but i'll keep it simple which is communication is the accelerant of dreams doesn't matter what the dream is if you want a better job communication helps you get paid more money because you can convey and articulate your value better if you want to grow your business yeah, if you can speak on a stage or speak in a workshop, you can speak to 30 prospects in an hour instead of having 30 one-on-one -on -one calls with maybe who, people who might or might not buy your service. So it scales your business. It scales your teams because you can hire and recruit the best people. So you can make more money, but it's way more than that. It's the way that you show up as a better parent for your children. It's the way you show up as a friend. It's the way you show up when you meet strangers at an event and make them feel seen, heard, and understood. That's why for me, it doesn't matter what the dream is. Communication helps you accelerate that dream. Oh, definitely. And it does help you have better relationships, connecting with yourself, connecting with other people. What's, um, what gives you the confidence to, to do this yourself? Absolutely. For me, what it comes down to is what Ali Gadet talks about. 
And the quote is simple. If you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. That's the way I've always seen expertise, which is it's not that I'm the number one expert in the world because I don't think I am. I think I have a long ways to go and I still have a lot of people to learn. But there's people I could help that I'm just a little bit better than. That's always been my perspective. So in the same way, you could teach me a bunch of different things about running a business, starting a podcast, creating great guest experiences that I don't know anything about, right? It's, it's more about learning from that. So for me, when I started, I didn't start with CEOs, big companies. I had, for the first three years of my coaching career, I didn't even charge anybody. I didn't even make any money. Three like, years. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing this for eight. And the first three years, yeah, I started when I was 19. So from 19 to 22. But it wasn't because I had a scarcity around not charging or anything. I didn't know it was a business. Because I like basically what happened, I'm a 19-year-old kid. I do these case companies to get a job. I worked at IBM as a technology consultant for three years. Very good pay, great benefits. That's what I wanted. Yeah. That's why I did the competitions. Then I grew an obsession towards them, like I was telling you earlier. And then I just took it upon myself when I was 19 and a half, 20 years old to coach the rest of the delegation. Because there's like 79 students and I wanted them to win the competitions. I didn't want them to, to go there and, and lose. So I just started helping them. But I didn't know how to coach. So I would just go like, oh, try this. And they're like, oh, that doesn't work. And I was like, oh, let's try this. That's why, you know, you mentioned a lot today, Natalie. Hey, I never heard that idea before. Never heard that idea before. That's because I had the naivete of the industry. You know, Gary V says, fresh eyes are dangerous eyes. So because I had no exposure to the industry, I kind of just created everything from scratch. So from 19 to 22, I coached probably 70 people on how to speak. Never made a dollar. But yeah. then later in my life, I learned that you could actually charge people to do this. And I found the right business partner. And then the business, I guess, grew really quickly because of that, because I, I already had a passion for it. Yeah. You can see that you're passionate about it. It comes across it. Like that, that's very vital in terms of <laughs> what, you, what you're doing, because otherwise, <laughs> what's your favorite thing to talk about? What's my favorite thing to talk about, Natalie? It's a great question. I mean, for me, I love talking about communication, right? Obviously, but that's not what you're asking with the question because we already talked about communication. I would say besides that, probably questions around, this is something I want to do towards the end of my life. It's one of my retirement projects is I want to write a book called The Optimizer, which is how does one optimize every moment of their life for the best outcome? What we call it the game theory, optimal way of living life. Like, for, So I asked myself other questions too. Like, I found my purpose. I found my direction. But how do you help other people to do that? I don't want it to be the core focus of my life. I really think I'm here to be the, the communication expert. But those are questions I think about as, too, as well. And I kind of create tools in the back end to, to speed up clarity for, for yeah. different people in the world. Why do you need to do it at the end? Good question. I, that's a good, good challenge, by the way. Good challenge. I could probably do it earlier. I think the reason is because I want to really be known for communication. Because I, I feel people like Tony Robbins and people like Brandon Bouchard, people, other people, right? Marissa Peer, that's their life's focus. So they're destined to do that. Whereas me, I'm still, I'm still going to share the advice, but nobody's doing what I'm doing, which is the communication side. There's so many like life coaches and business coaches, but no one's really doing what I'm doing. And I, I want to make sure that gets done because I'm not going to live for a long time. And then when I feel that mission is complete and you know, I became the next Dale Carnegie and I helped Elon Musk and all these people communicate better, which is probably like 20 years from now, 15 years from now, but it could go faster, then I'll, I'll definitely focus on this for sure. 
and need to, well, we need to make sure we stay connected. And I'm going to push you to do that sooner than the very end of your life. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it's a great push. There's some things that just don't have to wait for so long but I do understand what you're saying it's like keeping that focus and that clarity and that one message so that people don't get confused I know in the beginning of what what I did right of what I do my message my messaging was confusing because I did and do still do so many different things but if you're I wasn't communicating effectively the right the right words and exactly what I was doing. And so people were being, they were confused and a confused mind doesn't buy. It doesn't, doesn't know what to do. So it says no. So you're right in, in that sense of, you know, be clear, be focused, be known for this thing. Um, and then you'll stand out from other people who are letting themselves be confused. I love the confidence That's- in that. It's amazing. The confidence in what you do really comes through. And um, what tips could you give people for being confident when it comes to um, delivering? Like in the moment, say they're losing it. How do they regain that, that confidence to put it back? Absolutely, Natalie. And I have a controversial opinion. You need to be so good that that scenario never comes up. You need to be so well prepared that there's never a scenario that throws you off. Let me explain what I mean. My philosophy always, because another coach, another person in my industry will say, you know, drink a glass of water, just take deep breaths, visualize your success. I think that works, but to, to, and I do that for sure, but to a certain extent. I think the real game for me is do what's harder outside of the boardroom so that the boardroom becomes a joke. Why is it that I don't have any fear on this podcast? Well, A, because you're an amazing interviewer, right? And you're not trying to get me, right? Which is not the intention. But I've been on shows and I purposefully put myself on those shows where it's really hard. Like I remember one show I did a couple of weeks ago, but it was fun. Like I had a great time. But other people had panic where six hosts were interviewing me at the same time. It was wild. And they were making fun of me. We we're gesturing, but we we're having a good time. But it was wild. And, and because of that, because I did the harder thing, I go, oh, there's only one post today. Oh, and it's somebody who's super sweet and nice. And it's literally related to what I do, mastering confidence. Yeah, this is like a super easy interview. So it's because I did the harder thing first mm-hmm. that when I go to the easy piece, I, I nail it. So one exercise, this is more ball seven, eight, but it's really how do you put yourself in a situation where it is almost impossible? There's, no, there's always exceptions, but almost ex- impossible to fail. One of those exercises is called, and I don't expect your audience to do this today because they have to do the random word exercise first, but it's called the PowerPoint karaoke, where you take slide decks, different slides of areas that have nothing to do with you. Like one slide is like a giraffe. The next slide is about databases. And you have to present a coherent presentation without ever looking at the deck prior to presenting. So it's literally what I get a client to do is like PowerPoint karaoke starts now. They close their eyes, they open, they go, why is there a draft on the slide? And they have to just go, welcome to the safari park. You know, this is one of the key attributes. of. And the next slide is like a database. And they go, that's why database management is so important at a zoo or at a safari. They just have to keep making it up. So that's the key. Do the harder thing. Oh, I love that. That's just given me an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I like to get people out of their comfort zones and... It's the only way to improve. Like I love what you said there, like do the hard things like before the easy things, because like there's one, there's merit to taking small steps and letting that compound effects like kick in. 
But when you do go and just put yourself in jumping at the deep end, you're going to get a different result. And then those easier things are going to become easier, aren't they? Absolutely, Natalie. The only caveat I'll add to that, because there's a lot of things I'm still scared of. Like I'm scared of bungee jumping and skydiving and it's okay, right? I think it's more about... You absolutely must go and do a skydive. Yeah, I know. I know at this point, if I keep saying friends with you, you're going to like force me to do one. So I'm kind of scared of you a little bit. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but the point is, it's like I'm empathetic to that. That's why for me, the compromise is you don't need to like go start with PowerPoint karaoke. Because for a lot of you listening to this episode, the random word exercise is scary, you know. So just do that. And you don't even need to do it in front of somebody. You can literally do it alone in the shower, alone in your home when everybody else is away. Start there and then build up your confidence. And you'll see that growth curve exponentially increase. Like for me, the hardest part of my YouTube channel by far, it's not even close, was posting the first video. Mm-hmm. Like I, I made it, but I didn't post it for three weeks. I was like, ah, oh, this is good. I had like five people and everyone knew it was terrible. They were like, oh yeah, it's so good, Brendan. Just post it. But then after I post the first one, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm a YouTuber now. So I have to show up next week. But after 10 videos, you're like, oh, well, I guess this is just my reality now. I'm just somebody who posts content on a regular basis, and that just became my new identity. So now it's more about how do I make this the best in the world? How do I do this? But I didn't start that way for sure. Getting started sometimes is the hardest part, and it does then compound after. And what would you say to people that want to get started and they're procrastinating and it's you, you know it's their time? How do you, what, what do you recommend to them to, to basically get out of their own way? For sure, Natalie. So everyone's got different perspectives on this. I'll give you one that we don't hear a lot, which is the darker side to that question, which is I ask myself and I push the people I work with to ask this question too. The question is, who suffers from our inability to take action every day? Let me repeat that one again. Who suffers from our inability to take action every day of our lives? And for me, and I'm a great example of this, I had every excuse in the book, literally, to not start Master Talk. I don't have a lot of money. I'm a le- I have a broken left arm. I've never, no one's ever paid me to coach them when I started the channel at the, at the minimum. I don't have production money. I was a kid. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. Who in the world am I to make YouTube videos on communication? Well, there's guys who have PhDs in the subject and gals who have PhDs in the subject sharing the same content. And you know the reason why I took action is very simple, Natalie. It was for the seven-year-old girl who couldn't afford a communication coach. What does she do? If there's a seven-year-old girl or a 15-year-old girl in high school in like Utah or like in Cambodia or like in London, who does that person have? And the only answer on YouTube was like old white dudes in their 50s. No offense to them. They're my friends now. But when I started, that's, that was my perspective. <laughs> so my mindset was like, okay, if I'm 22 when I started this, when I started making videos, it's either she'll listen to me or she'll listen to nobody. So I might as well just post the videos. So that's actually what pushed me to do that because I coached a lot of those little girls when I started my career because that's what I was comfortable doing. Like 15-year-old boys, 16-year-old girls, 12-year-olds because that's what I was comfortable with. And then I would see the pain in their face all the time. And I'd say, oh my God, if I wasn't here, like nobody would help these children. And that really put a fire under my ass to get get it done. That's amazing. And do you still have those kinds of people come through? Can you repeat that again? Do you still have those kinds of people come through, the younger generation? 
Absolutely. So, so I spend less time for sure coaching them more on a private basis, like in groups, but a lot of them are always watching my videos and I'm, and I'm doing like one entry I had like two months ago is with a 17 year old. She's a fan of my channel and she's been watching. She's like 16 or something. So, so yeah, I do those. And obviously I won't get any business from that. That's more just like, I want to meet the audience yeah. and I want to interact with them. And it really means a lot to me. Yeah, for sure. Nice. I know a lot of people listening to this are parents. Do you have any tips for them helping their children? Because parents, Absolutely. Children don't always listen to their parents, do they? For sure, Natalie. And you actually nailed it on the head with, with the question, which is children will never listen to what their parents tell them to do, but they will always be how their parents are being. So what does that mean? That means when we think about the range of word exercise, don't just force your kids to do it. Go up to your kids and just say, hey, I learned this uh, random word. Like, give me a word. And then the kid, I don't care if they're five or seven or 10 years old, they give them a word. And then you kind of fail as a parent. You go like, oh, bagel is blah, blah, blah. And you kind of do your best. And then when you give them a word, they're very inclined to do it. They go, okay, well, if dad did it or if mom did it, I'm going to do it. So you need to be the example first. Mm-hmm. You need to be the role model. Question drill, same thing. With the questions or what you do with children is you ask them open-ended questions. So don't say something like, uh, how was your day? Because a lot of a lot of little boys, they just go, yeah, it was good. And they don't really expand a lot. So what you want to do instead is you want to ask questions like, what's the biggest lesson you learned about yourself this year? What's the lesson that you learned from your, your top three friends in your life? What is it that you appreciate about them? So when you ask them open-ended questions, it forces them to reflect deeper. And then you give your own answers to the questions too. And number three, video messages, really simple. Have your children send video messages to their family members, aunties, uncles, grandparents, to just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hope you're on a great day. And people love to receive a video message from an eight-year-old. They go crazy, and it encourages the kid to, to do it more, too. I love that. I, lo- I really like the idea of randomly sending someone like a really nice message like that because it, it does. It's like when you get a letter in the post because it so rarely happens. If something arrives for me in the post that someone sent me, it completely makes my day. Like you must get hundreds and thousands of emails a day, but no one sends a letter anymore. <laughs> right. If you, want to get my, if you want to get my attention, send me a letter. So. If you, yeah, if you want to reach somebody's heart, send them something they don't get, which might be that, that video message that makes all of the difference. And then that could boost their confidence too. Absolutely. And, and the reason why we value that so much for the audience, Natalie, is because human beings value scarcity. When you get something a lot, you, like whether it's money, whether it's relationships, when you have something in abundance, you tend to value it a lot less. So if it's your birthday and 100 people text you happy birthday, you care, but you don't care that much. You go like, oh, well, I can get this anywhere. But if one of those 100 people sends you a birthday message with a stupid birthday hat on that says, guess whose birthday it is, that's scarcity. You value that a lot more because that's the only person who's sending you that. And you know not a lot of people will get that in their life. So you'll value it more. That's so true. I like to sing happy birthday very badly on voice notes to my friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's unique for sure. It's one of those, like, I love, I love birthdays. They're so important. They're such an important day because without them, like we wouldn't be here. So I, I like that analogy. Maybe I'll get a stupid hat and start videoing it instead. 
<laughs> and and I might and I learned from you too. Like maybe I should be singing "Broken Birthday" because I'm def- I'm not going to sing it well. That's for sure. So if I do it, it's going to be broken. Just own that. Own that bad singing, and it becomes it becomes brilliant. <laughs> I love it. That's a great idea. I'm going to implement that. Cool. And um, what advice would you give to people who feel like they don't like the sound of their own voice? Absolutely. So the way that you fix this, honestly, there's no quick fix. You just got to get other people to tell you how good your voice sounds. Because I thought my voice sucked too when I, when I started my career for probably the first two to three years until enough people were like, yeah, you sound pretty good. And then I go, yeah, if, if 50 people tell me I sound pretty good, then I guess I sound pretty good. So, so I think the key is one, working on it, right? Getting rid of the ums and ahs, doing your best to project your voice. But you'll realize pretty much in all cases, if you send 100 video messages, you do 100 random word exercises, you'll see a, a very sharp increase in the way you're speaking. And then when you show the before and after to your friends, they go, holy moly. And then when you look at their face, you're like, oh, did I improve that much? Really? Because it's hard for us, like weight loss as an example. It's really easy for us to see the progress because we just sit on the scale one week. Oh, sorry, stand on the scale one week. You can tell I don't go on a scale level. And then one week out because I'm already skinny as it is. And then the, the week after you look at the scale and it goes down, you're like, oh, like, ob- like this is working. Yeah. But you don't see that with communication. You need somebody externally to go, wow, Natalie, the random word exercise, you're killing it now. That's really the key. Yeah. What's the hardest thing you've had to help? somebody with when with their communication never gotten that question before what's the hardest thing that i've ever helped somebody deal with comms there's a couple of different directions i can go into but i'd say the one that demands the most of my energy that's why i don't take on that work a lot unless it's like an amazing client that i worked with for a long time they need a favor is high stakes communication. That's really difficult. So let's say you're a CEO of a publicly traded company or you're like a C-level doing like a really high risk meeting, whether it's to talk about, you know, it could be a couple of things. It could be uh, maybe there's a PR disaster in the company. Uh, You want to make an impression, but there's like 15 different stakeholders you need to keep in mind the present day. And if you miss one, they'll get insulted and they'll hate you. That's one that CEOs deal with a lot, like in the publicly traded kind of deals. That's that's probably the stuff that works my brain though. It's like I'm doing one this week that I signed an NDA for, and those are like really really tough because you have to like consider okay this person is like friends with this person so I can't do this right and you have to change it. There's so many rules and they're always getting added on as the engagement takes on. So let's say I have it, it's done. I'll get a call the next day and say, hey Brendan, I know we did this, but then this person came in and then said this. You can't say this anymore. How do you change it? So yeah, it's a lot of work on my on my mental brain. So I don't take a lot of that work. Yeah, yeah, that does sound tough, and also I guess quite rewarding once you go through it. <laughs> yeah. What's been the most the the most rewarding thing and um, or person that you've you've helped? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's two ways. So one is definitely like at the end of my life, which will be in a long time, for sure. I'll I'll smile and look back and say, at least I cared about other people. At least I tried. You know, a lot of people, they don't even share that much information on communication for free. Like all the tips that we shared today, they're behind paywalls. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the hope that 50 years later when I'm 71, the next Oprah Winfrey, the next Elon comes up to me and says, hey, I was watching your videos when I was 15 years old. 
So I think that that's a that's a big thing, and that's starting to happen slowly already, which which I think is a big thing. With my clients, it's always the world changer who has every duck in the row except for comms. So an example is there are one of my clients, like a PhD in organic chemistry. She's she created this incredible technology. It's basically like a like a glass that you put that women put on their nails, so they don't have to do their nail polish. So what you do is you take a mobile app and it just changes it to any color depending on what your mood is that day or what party or event you're you're hitting up. So you save a lot of hours in the week. So it's really smart tech. The technology works, but she's too afraid to share it, right? to get on a stage, to raise money, to get employees. So seeing that person go from, oh my God, I'm never leaving my research lab to going out to competitions in front of seminar people and crushing, placing top 10, placing top five, and really getting the money to make the dream come true is always is always amazing because I'm helping people help other people because that person will go on to help tens of thousands of women save time in their week as an example. Yeah, that's incredible. That is such a good feeling, and it has it's like the butterfly effect, isn't it? You know, you you help one person, they help another, and everything everything grows from there. So tell us um, you got it. More, uh, tell us a bit more about Master Talks and how it works. Yeah, absolutely, Natalie. So, so for me, a master talk is two things. The first thing is the YouTube channel that people can check out. So, you know, free videos. My goal is to be an encyclopedia of knowledge on communications. So every week, I'll come up with something new. Like I, I wrote, I made videos on relationship building, how to communicate bad news, how do you overcome communication barriers, things like that. So that's one piece. And then the second piece as well is I do a free communication workshop on how to speak. It's over Zoom. It's live. It's free. If you want to register for that, it's rockstarcommunicator.com. I love that. Our um, six-week confidence building program is called Rockstar Confidence. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> if you could give people or leave people with one tip to be more confident in themselves, what would it be? I would leave with the question, Natalie. And the question is, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? You know, the problem with comms is it's so focused on negativity, stress, the, oh, I don't want to do this. It's a chore. Whereas for me, communication makes our life better. It's the way we grow up. It's the way we take care of our families. It's the way we raise our children. It's the way that we make friends. The way we meet strangers at a park. It's every moment of our life. So I encourage all of you listening to this to reflect on that question. How would your life change if you're a great communicator? And if you find that one reason it'll motivate you. And it doesn't need to be, be the next Tony Robbins. It could just be something really small, like you mentioned earlier today, right? Setting a better example for our children. Okay, if I learned how to communicate better, my kids would speak better. And that's great. And if we reflect on that, we'll do the random word exercise, the question drills, the video messages consistently enough to get results. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I, I think that's an incredible thing to leave people with. Um, we are confidence mastering fans of online stalking just not in-person stalking so where can people online stalk you yeah for sure so so we're on most social media so of course you know youtube is master talk instagram is master your talk because i couldn't get master talk and uh, tiktok is the same handle and linkedin if you could figure out how to spell my name you could totally connect with me on linkedin <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i can spell your name i just can't say it yet <laughs> okay you don't need to it's not a requirement <laughs> oh amazing thank you so much for joining us um i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i hope you have too 
Absolutely no. This is such a treat, and thanks for having me on the show. Good. Thank you so much. So for everybody listening, make sure you follow Brendan Master Talks um, and share this with your friends, family, loved ones, and also with people that you don't like because everybody needs some help. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you once again, and we will see you on the next. <laughs>